Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, December 11, 2022. It is the third week of Advent, and today's topic is love. Today and this Christmas, we're we're dealing with sort of a tradition here in Iceland, which is the theme of the candles, and today we're dwelling on love. And so as I was thinking about the arrival of Jesus, I thought of a scene from The Lord of the Rings, because I'm not a true fan. I've not read the books, but I've seen the movies and that's the only thing that matters, right? Uh, but there's this scene in Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. At one point in the movie, you see the good guys in the film, they're trying to fight an army of orcs and, and the fight looks like it's going to be lost to them. They're being overwhelmed by enemy forces. And all of a sudden, the sun comes up and they look to the mountains and there on the mountaintop, they see uh, this white beard man coming along, Gandalf, and he arrives with reinforcements and they ride down the hills and they destroy the orc army. And all of a sudden you see that the victory is won. And so as we think about the arrival of Jesus being born, we remember what the arrival of Jesus means. It means that death gives way to life. It means that darkness flees from, from light and we're in Iceland and it's very dark and we can all say, amen. Right, February, come, please come. Uh, or, or this, that seeming defeat gives way to victory. For those fighting the good fight in a broken world, the battle was impossible to win. And unlike the, the Lord of the Rings uh, scene, we don't just simply need more reinforcements to just get us over the hump so that we can finally defeat uh, enemy forces alone. No, 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 we needed more than simple reinforcements, we needed a savior to come. And that's why this is good news. It's good news because we need a savior. And during Christmas, we remember that we have a savior that came to us. And there are many words that come to us as we think about Jesus. We've talked about faith. We've talked about hope. And today we take some time to dwell on two things, how Jesus is our example of love and how Jesus redeems and reorients our love. And so. Um, let's stand as we jump into just the text for today. You might be familiar with the text of today, but let's stand and let's read this together. By the way, I've totally forgot. Johan asked me to say there's no kids ministry today, uh, but there is going to be kids ministry the next couple of weeks. And so, yeah, let's jump into this. Let's read these familiar verses and remember Jesus. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. And let's be seated. All right. So I want to dwell on these two points that Jesus is our example of love and Jesus redeems and reorients our love. Uh, okay, so as we dwell on the arrival of Jesus this Christmas, we remember 
that this is the triune God of the universe um, on a mission. So the father, God, the father, he's sending God, the son, the son is arriving to save and the Holy Spirit is empowering and indwelling even us today to testify of this amazing good news that we celebrate that God has arrived to us when we could not come to him. So as we dwell on the first words of John three sixteen, and we see that for God so loved the world, and for a lot of people, they, they may think that, that love is sort of a feeling, right? Love is feeling alone. And I, I don't want to come across, I know I have kind of come across in the past as a guy who is totally against feelings. And then I realized, hey, actually God, God did create us with feelings. So there's probably a purpose to those feelings. Uh, have you, anybody overreacted to what they were raised up with, right? <laughs> I felt like I was too emotional before. And then I, I just wanted to be, become the frozen chosen Bible thumper, right? And just not experience any goosebumps. Just leave me alone. Uh, so I don't want to be the guy who's like anti-feelings um, because there's a reason why God created feelings. So I don't want to say love is, is not feelings, but feelings alone can lead us astray, right? Can anybody think of moments where feelings totally betrayed you? Think of unhealthy food that you ate simply because of the, the feelings of that moment, right? The fasts that were broken, the diets that were supposed to go on for days and ended up being for hours just because of feelings, right? And, or the things that you've said in, the heated, in a heated argument that you can never take back or regrets that you have from making hasty decisions based on feelings. Now, feelings can be good. Feelings of love, feeling the love of God towards you and love for others, but feelings alone can be fickle and misleading a lot of times. And so as you read the scriptures, you see glimpses even of feelings that God describes towards his people. Like we go to Sephaniah 3, 17, and we see God uh, describing how he feels towards his people. The Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. See, there's some feelings in there. And so I, I don't know about you, but I step back from this passage and I ask myself, how crazy is this? How crazy is this? That the creator and sustainer of the universe, not only being in our midst and saving us from our sin, but rejoicing over us with gladness? Like rejoicing over you with gladness? Me? Like think about how bad our week went. Think how many times that we failed. Think about... How many times we just responded in the wrong way because of who knows what. And he's rejoicing over us with gladness and calming is us with his love. And this is the, the crazy thing. The paradoxical nature of Christianity, Christianity is that we have to continually affirm that we are sinners, right? Anybody agree with that? Anybody, actually, anybody don't agree with that? Because I want to hand you the microphone and you teach the rest of us, right? Uh, no, we're sinners. And at the same time, we have to realize that he has made us his own, that we are his children, that we're sinners and yet we are saved. And he rejoices over us with gladness, even in our fallen state. And yet he takes on our shame and our sin and he, re he wraps us up in the righteousness of Christ and calms us by his love. This is the paradoxical nature of Christianity, the overwhelming love of God for, for me, for you. And not only does he experience love and gladness in his people, but also grief when he sees people 
turn away from him. Psalm 78, 40 says, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. So yes, an aspect of the love of God is joy and gladness in us. And an aspect of the love of God is grief over those who turn away. But even though feelings may be a part of God's love for us, and you can argue, man, nah, I think they're just trying to, trying to describe the nature of God through feelings and all that. We can let the theologians argue about that all day, all, all, all night and all day. But even though feelings may be a part of this, and this is how he expresses his love for us, his love it cannot be limited to feelings alone, feelings of love. Because I don't know about you, if you think about just feelings, if God were to simply say, for God so loved the world and the, and the verse ended there, that would be like, oh, that's, that's great. Anything else? <laughs> Any, anything more? <laughs> but by God's grace, his love cannot be limited to feelings of love alone. As we continue working our way through John 3.16 and we see these awesome words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So this Christmas, we remember the gift of salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but this is also, this is voluntary. God, the father giving God, the son, God, the son walking among us and saying to the people, hey, no one takes my life. I'm not here to be murdered. I'm here to lay down my life for my sheep, for my people. I'm here to take on their punishment so that they can live through me. I'm here to die so that they can find the righteousness of Christ. This Christmas, we remember the gift of salvation. As someone put it this way, love is the condition in which the joy of another person is essential to your own. Love is the condition in which the joy of another person is essential to your own. Now think about some of these verses. Think about that. Think about the love of Jesus. As, as we read some of these uh, verses describing the sacrificial love of Jesus, John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief there is Satan. And yes, we we're kind of old school as a church. We believe that Satan still exists. We still believe that we can do a lot of damage on our own, but we also believe that there's an enemy out there that is out to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says this about himself. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, think about the quote. Love is the condition in which the joy of another person is essential to your own. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've come to give them life abundantly. I've come to give them joy. Here in John 15, 12 to 13, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this Christmas, we remember him laying down his life for us. Yes, this Christmas, we're not really talking about the cross yet, are we? But he's stepping down from glory. He's already sacrificing. Can you imagine this? The God who gave us who gave us logic is a baby. The God who, who created Mary is now being birthed through her. The God who, who gave us everything that we see around us has come as a baby to the world to save us. He's already laid down his life right there. He's already laying down. He's, he's stepping down from glory for, for your joy for our joy. I was talking with uh, Alice outside earlier. And <laughs> sorry, sorry to bring you up. That's how we do it here as a church. 
And I was thinking about, she was, she's got an interesting story about going through uh, sickness and, and all that. I was thinking about uh, Mikhail going through his sickness and the verses that continually came to mind as, as, as we were at the hospital, the verses that continued to come up was in Hebrews chapter 12. And especially the verses one through four, but today I put a verse two. It said, <laughs> it says they're looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what, what that's underscoring is, hey, your faith is not up to you. It's the, how strong your faith is, is not up to you. It's up to Jesus. It can only be as strong as the object of your faith. And he is the founder and perfecter of your faith. So, and here it says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so at the hospital, when, when we were looking at our children kind of suffering and, and we were looking at the joy set, especially when he highlights for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That He was hanging on that cross, a torturing device made by the Romans to not only kill people, but humiliate them and kill them painfully and slowly. He found joy there. How? For the joy set before him. So we, we've talked about, man, the, the love of God includes his feelings of gladness and rejoicing in and among his people and the grief over those who turn from, way, from him to eternal damnation. But we cannot limit his love to feelings alone. He gave. What exactly does he give us? He gave us eternal life to those who put their trust in him as their savior and Lord. And not only joy in life eternal, but life abundantly, even here. Even in the midst of suffering, we can have joy that is set before us because we have something better to look at than just the momentary suffering. What does he give? He lays down his life so that we can have life in him. He pays our debt, carrying and nailing it to the cross, our shame and sin so that we can be with him. See, this is not just another religion. If you look at all other world religions, they will tell you here is a recipe on how to get to nirvana or paradise or whatever. Do this and do that. And maybe you can earn God. And yet in Christmas time, we're remembering, no, 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 this is completely different. This is just not another religion. This is God saying, you can't, you can't come to me. Man, and we make our diet plans at the beginning of the year. We can't even follow our diet plans. How are we going to... Come to the grace of God, right? You can't approach me. Here I come to you. This is completely different. What does he give us? He gives us himself, our savior, to put our faith in. And notice, notice this in Hebrews 12. He endured the cross that was set before him. I kept on thinking to myself, and just ask yourself this question. What did he have after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? Was the joy set before him that he would be reunited with the God, the father in glory and the Holy spirit and eternal perfect community. I always thought that, but then think to yourself, did he have that before the cross before he stepped down to us and, and became a baby to be our savior? Yes, he did that. He had perfect community with God, the father and God, the Holy spirit. The only thing that he didn't have before the cross that he had after the cross was you. 
It was me. It was us. And that's crazy. I feel cringy even talking about that. Are you telling me that God, when he was enduring suffering on the cross, that the, the joy set before him was this plebeian? Was you? Was it us? How crazy is this love? And yet we continue on. He knows everything about you. He knows you more intimately than your friends know you. He knows you more intimately than your family or your spouse knows you. God knows you more intimately than you even know yourself. He's familiar with all of the thoughts that you so so eloquently hide from other people. He's familiar with all of the, not only things that you do, but the motivations behind them that can be so often selfish. Like, oh, this is such a nice guy. Meanwhile, you're doing that because you want people to say that about you, right? He knows all the motivations of our hearts. He knows every single thought that we try to hide from other people. He knows you better than he knows that you know yourself. But think about this amazing reality. He's more aware than anyone. The depth of our failings and our sins, be they in thought or word or actions, and yet... He loves us. As someone said, we are far more, far worse off than we could have ever imagined and far more loved than we could have ever dreamt. And so we go back to John 3, 16 and we read, for God so loved the world. Man, we're so familiar with these words that we might even just recite them without really thinking about just how crazy that is. For God so loved the world, the world that crucified him, the world that rejected him, the world where the kings decided to kill all the babies of Bethlehem to get rid of the competition that Jesus was. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that we, the, the world might be saved through him. It was crazy as I think about the glory of God. And like, I remember I used to struggle with a question, why would a good God allow anybody to go to hell? And yet, as I think about the glory of God and I see my own life and my own sin and my own failings, more and more, I grow in awe that anybody gets to go to heaven. Why would God do that? Why would he save me? Why would he save us? And so we've established that God has these feelings of delight in his people, the love that calls to action. And now we get to the why so that we might be saved through him. For so many of us, we think that, man, if the opposite of love, okay, what is the opposite of love? And I'm going to ask this question generally. Hate, right? That's what, that's what I would say too. That's the, the most obvious answer. I also think when we look at the love of Jesus, I think another answer to the opposite of love can be indifference or apathy. You see, a key characteristic of the love of Jesus is that he saw us in our need and he didn't simply say, shrug his shoulders and walk away. He didn't simply feel a pity towards us, but not do anything. But in his love, he made the insurmountable problem that was our sin, his own. Our debts were not his responsibility. 
And yet, he made, it, he made our debts his responsibility. Our sins were not his to make up for, and yet he came to die for them. Our shame was not for him to take upon himself, and yet he did. In his love, he got involved when he saw us in our need. And I want to remind us, dear brothers and sisters, that this involvement in our struggles is not something that happened 2,000 years ago. You might be like, oh, that's awesome. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, got involved in my problems. That's amazing. No, this is happening today through Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you surrendered your life to him, if you said, Jesus, you are my Lord, meaning you're the boss, you lead the way, my dreams are yours, my future is yours, I wanna follow you where you lead me and you alone save me. If you've made that confession, what is amazing is that he gives us God, the Holy Spirit, to work in our lives and through our lives. Him getting involved in our problems is not simply something he did at Christmas night long time ago. It's what he continues to do even today. Even when we look at our last year and we think, man, I've failed so many ways. Why am I still struggling with this aspect of sin or that aspect of sin? God is involved in your problems by saying, promising you that he's gonna conform you to the image of Christ by changing us to look more like Jesus, by removing from us the thieves of joy that present themselves as the source of joy. I was talking with one guy uh, last week and he was just saying, man, you know, I, I, this was yeah, during your men's group. I, I used to live for three, the three hours worth of joy. Like I would buy something and it would be three hours worth of, of, of joy in there. I used to live for that and I, I need to let go of that. And here's Jesus, he's come to declutter our hearts and minds from the, the things that distract us that promise us joy, that promise us health, that promise us everything in the world, and yet they never deliver or they only last for a time. And he has gotten involved in that problem of ours. And how ironic that sometimes for most people, for some people at least, the height of that problem is Christmas time. <laughs> they just think, man, if, I, if we have the, the best Christmas, if we have snow this Christmas, that's like fluffy and nice and not this like, Bad snow, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't really know how to describe it in English. The bad snow, the slushy and, eh, you know, that's no. Uh, man, if I just get the right presents, if I, if I just give the right presents, if I, if I just get to spend the evening with the people that I really love and care for, man, then this is going to be awesome. How many people live for that saying, oh, that's where I'm going to be finally joy filled. And yet, and yet Jesus in his arrival, the very reason for the season, as the Americans say, is saying, no, 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 your joys are not found in the things that people can give to you. It's not found in the perfect present. It's not found in anything in this life other than me. His love for us is revealed not only in that he cared enough to send Jesus, but even now he is seeking to change us, to reveal to us where true love is and all of this is done by and through the work of Jesus. And this is how the love of Jesus is expressed to us. His feelings of delight in his giving and in his care to make our troubles his home. Much like that movie scene we talked about in the beginning. You have the good guys trying their best to fight this insurmountable fight. They know it's probably not gonna end well with them. The army of the orcs is much, much greater than, than their ability to fight off. 
And yet his love compelled him to get involved and rescue us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. And then we get to the second point, which is this, Jesus redeems and reorients our love. So as we dwell on the love of God for us, and we must remember that we are his creation. And as we dwell on his love and his willingness to stoop down to save us from ourselves, we must remember there's no one more worthy of our love or adoration or glory than Jesus. But we're fallen. We're fallen mankind. And we feel that way too often. We manage to, to take things that are beautiful and yet we distort them because we make them ultimates in our lives. What we see in the love of Jesus is not only him revealing his love to us, but redeeming and reorienting our love. This is something that we must understand that in our day and age where the very definition of love has been watered down into warm and fuzzy feelings, right? That's, that's probably why we think that we can solve problems by sharing a picture on Facebook, right? Share this picture if you really care about this cause. Well, I did my part. I shared the picture, right? I have warm and fuzzy feelings. That means I'm a very loving and caring person. And especially in our day and age where we prop up this watered down version of love to be the ultimate thing that you should seek in life. Not realizing that love is not a feeling, it's not a concept, it's a person. And it's the person of Jesus. Like we've all heard this sort of statement of faith that love is the ultimate thing. Well, we've heard love is love, right? Love is love. And if it's love, then it must be celebrated. It must be accepted, but it must be good, right? But all of us being sinners, we must remember how easily uh, our sinful desires can corrupt even something as good as love. Because if our love is misdirected or misguided, we find ourselves in sin. That is, we're missing the point that Jesus created us for, that God created us for. You see this in Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul is, is making the case, man, what has happened to us is we have this overwhelming propensity as human beings to not seek God, but rather to seek to love and worship created things and creation rather than the creator. And little g gods can take many forms. They can literally be cultures and peoples who, who sacrifice to idols, who bow down to literal idols in front of them, but it can basically be anything in our lives that we placed as the ultimate important thing, right? And actually, when we do that, something as beautiful as love can be messed up. Like you see this throughout scripture, like first, first Timothy 6.10, where the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Who's heard this phrase? Like, so this is taken by the Bible. You hear it all the time. The, money is the root of all evils is what they say, right? But that's actually not what the Bible says. No, no, no. Money is, it can be good. It can be neutral. It can be bad. What's bad is when you love money. When, when your love is oriented in the wrong direction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith and perceived themselves uh, and pierced themselves with many pangs. He's saying there's some have been so loving of money that they decided to pursue money over God, over the giver of all things. Or look at Jesus rebuking the religious leaders of his day as he did so often, right? He, he came to the religious leaders. He 
he sees how they be, behave. And then he teaches their disciples, be like, hey, these religious leaders can actually do some good. They can serve as a bad example for you guys. Yes. So he's like, look at these religious leaders. Look at the hypocrisy of them. And he, he really tells us, man, there's a danger of loving the wrong thing. Here he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like these religious people out here. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now that might be weird to us. Like anybody see anybody praying on a street corner on his way to church today? Not really. This was done back then. And back then the reaction would have probably been very different than seeing someone praying on the street corner here in Iceland in 2022, right? 2022, they were like, who's this guy? What a weirdo talking to an invisible God. (laughs) Back then, they would walk by these religious people who were praying in, on the street corners to get attention from people. And it's like, look at this guy. He's so holy, man. Look at you. Good job being so godly. And what Jesus is saying there, man, they love the applause and acceptance of people over what God thinks of them. They're praying, not for God, but to get praise from people. And so Jesus, he comes as our example of love and to redeem and reorient our love to be directed towards him, to place him as the ultimate authority in our lives, the one who can provide us with true and lasting joy and hope. And if you want to do an audit of yourself and you want to ask yourself, who is it that I love more than Jesus or God? Who is it or what is it in my life that's in competition to be the God of my life? Then you can ask yourself, the questions that we see in John 3.16. We see that Jesus has affections, that he was willing to sacrifice because of his love, and that he was willing to not respond with apathy, but rather give his attention to our troubles and our salvation. And so you, if you want to ask yourself the question of, okay, who is, what is God in my life? You can ask yourself these questions. What is it that you feel Affection for. When you have a stressful day at work or you have a hard week, what is it that your feelings crave? It can be ridiculous thing, things and extremely self-destructive things. It can be anywhere from carbohydrates to your career. You can come home after a long day or, or, and you can say, man, I just want to shut my brain off, brain off and I have some entertainment that I want to watch. Or you can, after a, wrong, after a long, difficult period, you can say, man, what I'm going to find my identity in and my hope in, the affections of my heart want romance. That's where I want to be fulfilled in life. Or it can be substance abuse like alcohol or drugs, or it can be so many things. It can be so many different things that you feel affections for when you deal with difficulty, when you go through difficult times. So what is it that you have your feelings gravitate towards for release, for joy, for comfort. In these things, or is it to, to spend time with God in prayer and in the word? Then we can ask ourselves the question, what am I willing to sacrifice for? Many people have ruined their lives with drugs and alcohol, or here's a more sort of socially acceptable way to, to sacrifice everything for. That's like career. Man, if you're just the type of person, you just want to go after your career and financial success and 
and always be getting promotions. And, and that's what you're going to live for. The weird thing about society is that almost anybody will applause you for doing that. Even as you're sacrificing your relationship with your kids, even if you're sacrificing your merits, even if you're sacrificing your well-being, man, if you're doing alcohol and drugs and sacrificing all that, that's not socially acceptable. But man, if you're pursuing a career, we'll just, good job, good job. What is it that we are willing to sacrifice for? What is it that you're willing to sacrifice for? Is it to chase after our creator or his creation? And as we remember, the opposite of love can be apathy or indifference. What or who is it in your life where your attention goes to? You may not care much if you lose your entertainment, but if you, if you lose your romantic expectations, are you affected in a way that's going to ruin you? One brother asked me this question. I said this way. If God were to take this away from you tomorrow, would you still be okay? We can ask, okay, what is the God of my life? Is there anything other than Jesus himself, my God and my creator, that he could take tomorrow and it would ruin me? At Christmas, we marvel over the love of God and Jesus, but he has come to redeem and reorient our love. And the crazy thing is, it's for your good. Like some of us have been there. Like we got refugees in here who have lost everything. All the things that looked extremely stable. All of our expectations gone out the window and you've got nothing left but God alone. All of a sudden your career, your success is gone. You find yourself in a different country where you don't know the language. Or some of us have been there with the health. Because most of us just presume that we're going to have a typical life. I never thought I would have a special needs kid. I just thought that was something that happened to other people. And yet you face circumstances and all of a sudden you're faced with, man, my life is going to be completely different from what I expected it to be. All of a sudden you meet health crisis and you realize, man, I'm actually not guaranteed 85 years here. All of a sudden you realize, man, what I expected can fall apart so quickly. Everything around us can fall apart so quickly. And yet God says, no, come, come to me. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? I will give you rest. Why are we weary? Why are we heavy laden? I think it's because we put our trust in the wrong things. We love things that don't last. And then we wonder why our hope doesn't last. And yet Jesus is saying, no, come to me. Come to me. It's okay to enjoy the things I give you, but don't put your love in that. And so he redeems and reorients our love to him for his glory and for our good. We read in 1 John 3, 16, but this we know, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us that, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? So as we've said so many times before, our, our faith is vertical and it's horizontal, right? It affects our relationship with God and then it affects our relationship with one another. Our faith affects us when we are confronted with the overwhelming love of God towards us, the fact that he would approach us 
when we were muddy and disgusting. And I think about my own life. I've cursed God with my words and yet he continued to pursue me. He didn't serve any of my thoughts, any of my anger, and yet he pursued me. How amazing is that? And it meets us in our daily lives as we look at his example of love and we are reoriented to love him and love people like him. That is, I don't know if that's coming out right. Love God and love like God. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to try to say. To let our affections and feelings be stirred up for one another in brotherly love as we see the example of Christ to pursue not what we can gain, but rather what we can give, seeking not what, what our right is in this moment. This is so easy, right? When we feel disrespected, say, I don't deserve this. Like I, We can all say, man, yeah, God calls us to be servants. And we'll be like, yes, amen, I'll be, I'll be God's servant. But just wait, just wait for the moment when someone actually starts to treat you like a servant. And you'd be like, I don't deserve this. So many of us, we, we think, what is my right in this situation? And yet we look at Jesus and we realize, man, his right was glory and honor and praise. And what did he do? He laid down his right to come to us, to save us. In light of Jesus laying down his rights, maybe it is our job to do the same be willing to sacrifice for others, to not be lulled into apathy or indifference, but to be motivated by love, to get involved in what God is equipping us to do. Sometimes that may be to speak hard truth when you're a person who would rather not speak anything uncomfortable. Sometimes that is to shut up because you're the person who always wants to give your two cents about what's going on. And just at that moment, you need to just bear with that person and grieve with them. Sometimes that's to put a pause on things that you wanted to get because you see a brother or sister around you who actually doesn't just have things that they want, but things that they need. And here's the thing, we serve a great God. And the awesome thing about sacrificing for others to grow in generosity, to not be selfish or self-centered is that it is actually good for you. That it's actually good for us. And so as we go into this Christmas and many people are thinking of what they want, Right. Or actually, I feel like that may, may just be kids. Right. So, as a lot of children are thinking about, man, what, what do I want for Christmas? I want us to be thinking about what we can give this Christmas. In light of the fact that we've been given so much, we've been, we've been given everything in Christ. So we've been blessed this year through, through your faithfulness and giving, through your generosity. I'm actually blown away that we have met our budget because we spent way more than we planned on helping refugees among us. We're actually going to be using the money, like I said earlier, to, to help people here in December, both locally and uh, two pastors, uh, one in Poland and one in Venezuela. So through your giving today and until the end of this month, <clears throat> we can meditate on the selfless and sacrificial love of Jesus and reflect that in our giving as individuals and as a church. And maybe. You can also go into this week just wondering not just how I give my money away, but how do I give my time away? Man, in a day and age where everybody's just looking out for themselves, how can I look out for others? How can I sacrificially serve others as I meditate on the fact that Christ served me when I did not deserve it? This Christmas, I would love for you to join me during this season. And also as we go into the next season, that God would continue to redeem and reorient our loves 
to help us to grow in knowledge as we faithfully seek to know and study our Bibles, as we grow in prayer, as we intentionally fight for time in a busy world to spend with God, and to grow in obedience as we're confronted with the realities of who God is and what he's done, that we would go into the week really ready to reflect him and that he would equip us to do that. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're going into this new year, and you're thinking about, man, what are the things that I want to do this year? I'm going to hammer away at this. On the giving table in the back, we've got two Bible reading plans. I would love for you to dive into the word. The reality is there are some great people in here. None of them are going to transform your heart. None of them are going to equip you with spiritual gifts. None of them are going to equip you for the ministry that God has called you to. Only God can do that. And God has promised to do that through his word. And we have Bibles for you. And I would love nothing more than for you to say, man, I want to read my Bible. So if you want to read your Bible this year, we have a whole Bible reading plan for the whole year or just the New Testament. If you're dipping your toes in the water, you never read your Bibles for the first time, maybe this is a good one to start with, just the New Testament that is after Jesus is born. But I would love for you to grow in your understanding and to get plugged into groups. So on the back of the back of the reading plans, we have Bible study questions. So you can gather up one or two, three, four other people and you can meet weekly or every other week and you can ask these questions to, to know how to study the text together well. I would love for you to dive into the word and to be thinking about, okay, this Christmas, this new year, how can I enjoy God and how can I reflect him? And what we want to do as a church is we always want to remember why we do the things that we do. That's why communion is every single week for us here. We want to remember the thing driving us, the gas on our tank, the thing that's going to keep us going for the rest of this life is the good news of Jesus, that he came when we couldn't approach him, he died for us. And so in communion, we remember in the juice, we remember the blood of Jesus being poured out for us and the bread, we remember his body was broken for us. And just as, as, uh, as food and drink give life to the body, then the, the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf gives life to us eternally. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in here and you are a Christian, meaning you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, You've, uh, you trust in Jesus Christ alone as your savior, meaning when you stand before God one day and we all will, that you don't point to yourself or how nice you've been or how good you've been. You point to Jesus and you say, Jesus has died for me. He was my Lord. He was my savior. If you've done those two confessions, I would love for you to celebrate with us. If you're in here and you haven't, and you want to do that today, there's no better gift this Christmas that I could give you than Jesus himself where he's already given you. He has laid down his life for our joy, for our hope, so that we who couldn't come to him can now approach boldly, not because of how awesome we are, but rather because of how amazing he is. And if you want to make that confession and you want to take that step today, surrender your life to Jesus, I would love to pray with you after the service. And I would love for you to celebrate with us for the first time the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If you're in here and you're not a Christian and you're not ready to take that step, I thank God that you're here. I pray that you will receive the hope and joy of Jesus. You're welcome here at any time, but I would ask you to leave this one out because we're remembering Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so let us pray as we 
sing together a song and we remember Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the overwhelming love of Jesus. We thank you for how you've met us in our need. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the, the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit who equips us. As we go into this week and this service may be drawn to a close, but man, our worship continues. May you use us to worship you with our lives. We thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing love. And we ask that you work in us and work through us. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.